Adeline or Adeline? Um, honestly, I don't mind. People usually call me Addy. It's a bit easier. Addy. Then you get to skip the okay. hurdles, but either I don't really care. That's Addy. They've lived in Ireland, America, and England. They are an academic and has done sex work. I'm Robert Gershenson, a photographer and podcaster, and this is Sex Work, a podcast all about what it means to be a sex worker right now. You chose that name, Addy? Well, the funny thing is, because um, I'm an intersex um, mm-hmm. person, and my parents, even though they're mortally ashamed of their little baby hermaphrodite, they would still tell people they're going to name me after my dad's sister, who died tragically in the 1920s. So as a kid, I thought I was possessed by, because I was little, um, possessed by the ghost of my dead aunt. Because I was like, well, that makes sense why I'm always getting in trouble for asking Santa for the wrong things and so on and so forth. But they would. Uh, so basically, when when um, I changed my name legally and my gender legally in, in Ireland, because we're able to, um, I went with Adeline, which was the first name really I was going to be given. Yeah. But then um, it was not long. It was a while after that, that we actually looked up um, where she was buried because she's buried with like close to where my grandmother is buried over in Ireland. Yeah, 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 in Glasnevin Cemetery, which is this pretty great cemetery where all kinds of famous people including my grandma who's not actually famous, but <laughs> she she's buried there too, yeah. <laughs> and um but it turns out that that wasn't my aunt's name. Her name was Adelaide, so it's oh. just like there's yeah. <laughs> so that's just, out the window. Yeah, and then also I took my middle name as my grandmother's maiden name from my dad's birth certificate. But it turns out on my dad's birth certificate is a typo. <laughs> so that, that typo is legally my name now. So it's, <laughs> but in a way it's perfect. I mean, you know, in a world where you're supposed to be a boy and supposed to be a girl and I was born intersex. So fuck it, I'm a typo. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just make it official, you know. So you were born over here in England, weren't you? I was, yes. Um, actually in uh, in London, actually. So I've come big circle uh yeah i was born intersex here and as they still do today they take the baby and they choose a gender and perform surgery on it based on uh well they've been doing the surgeries for a long time but um it's basically all intersex babies since john money in the 1950s who who decided he had this half hour theory that the gender is fluid in all babies. Mm-hmm. So you had to assign a gender and perform surgery on it. And it's don't go looking up the types of surgeries unless you're feeling great about yourself because it'll ruin your day. It's grim. And um, at the time, doctors would tell parents, uh, you need, well, they still tell people you need to keep it very, very quiet. And it buys into the whole stigma and shame. Don't tell anyone that your baby's intersex. But do they, do they, I mean, in the case of your parents, did they come to your parents and say, your child is, I guess they didn't say intersex back then. What did they say? Um, no, actually, they they still used, uh, they, they, they used intersex or they'll use hermaphrodite. That's or now, but when, when you were a kid? Male pseudo hermaphrodite. Okay. Or it's, it's one of those things. It's, you know, um, like in 2005, they changed the terminology. There was a big coup mm-hmm. with the medical establishment versus intersex activists. And they changed it to disorders of sexual development. And then when you point out to them that that's really pathologizing, and places the autonomy over our bodies in their hands they'll go no differences of sexual development you know 
they're shifty. But with your parents, did the doctors come and say, hey, the baby you've just had is hermaphrodite or intersex. What do you want to do? Or did oh. they, they mm. just made the decision themselves? Well, even now, in theory, they'll talk through with the, with the doc with, with parents. But um, a lot of parents feel it's not something that my parents were really. My parents were very resentful. They're very Catholic. Um, in my mother's case, she'd grown up with a lot of abuse, and she'd fled um, a pretty abusive situation and made it to the big bright lights of London, mm -hmm. where she had friends and was was enjoying life and then doctors hand her this little baby and go now you got to fuck off back home so there's a lot of resentment you know? so it's a case of this is the situation go to Ireland keep the shtum yes but that's still what they do they they're they the doctors won't go well it's up to you what do you want to do you've really got to fight them and in some case today um doctors are you know will call social services that you know and your baby may be forced and, and some of those surgeries i mean will you know that the, the okay so in ireland if you go on the um on our health service website it doesn't say anything about intersex at all even though ireland performs surgery on on intersex babies but it will have a whole thing on fgm which female genital mutilation mm -hmm. and of course i mean they should it's bad but they perform exactly the same procedures on intersex people yes but that's okay because we're doing it and we claim that it's better for them but it's just racism really it's, so you were taken back to ireland mm -hmm. and you were raised as a boy as a boy as a boy but, uh, but i was shit at it so basically i was just constantly in trouble for asking for long toys stop being so flaily and gestury and and i was a pretty tough neighborhood it was tougher than me so <laughs> you know and i was a tall effeminate child so you know so how old were you when you realized or someone said to you oh actually early. Well, that's the thing other people notice because I would get in trouble for not being a boy, right? And then obviously in school, you're getting beaten up for not being a boy, right? You know, and then... But this is so, this is a behavioral thing, isn't it? This is a an attitude. But it's also, these are the things that I naturally like, you know? And exactly. So you'll see turfs now, like, oh, you're just trying to like the things that, that you think girls like. No, I just like the things I like. Like, my wife is a cisgender woman who doesn't have typically feminine interests. I have a lot of typically feminine interests, which is good for her because she steals my makeup. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but um, yeah, I, I like girly stuff, but it would just get you in a lot of trouble and it was a lot of shame on my on the family, you know. In terms of the physicality, was there a noticeable difference in your physicality to the other boys in the class? Um, I would say that the surgeons are probably happy enough with their work, except that it takes me about two hours to take a piss and it hurts. And it's still right. half a century later and there's not a lot I can do. With it. I have no sensation in it. Also, because I wasn't, I mean, basically they crafted a penis. They rerouted the urethra through it. And they're like, um, and they still do these. I mean, there, there's a paper came out uh, just this year, a Hegarty AL 2021. And uh, the doctors, it's basically, it's him asking doctors, like, why, what they think about surgeries on intersex people. And the, the, the reasoning that was given in 2021 is, I just think it's important that boy, little boys be able to stand up and pee in a pot at the same time as their pals. Like, that's the stuff of nightmares. I, I still avoid <laughs> restrooms because, you know, so it, it's a whole thing. And, but the thing is, though, like, you can, there's no recourse. I mean, I'm still like one of the reasons we left the United States is because I was worried about losing access to healthcare. 
but I haven't seen an endocrinologist since. And they're still, we're still, doctors are still performing um, castrations on, they'll assign a child as a um, girl and then remove the undescended testicles, which now that child has to be on hormone replacement therapy for their whole life. And if you can't get access, like I I know um, some researchers that just, that are intersex and moved to Ireland and they're told, well, even though you're on this medication and your life depends on it, you're cut off. So it's, you know, so basically that, that's what my, the research I'm doing currently is basically on older intersex people. And it's 2021 and we've been performing these surgeries on intersex people on almost all of us, almost 2% of the population. Yeah. Since, um, at least since the 50s. And there is nothing. There's like one other paper on older intersex people and that's it. So my research is just on people in across Europe, including the UK, and just documenting the experiences. I mean, I know what my own are. But uh, I'm going to go and see if that's what other people are like too, you know. Are you finding similarities? Oh, yeah, we find a lot, we have a lot of, uh, we're not thrilled. I mean, and I, I think it's even worse than that is one of the things you hear doctors say over and over again is, well, yeah, but we're better at it now. And um, like I said, I've been at a, 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 the OII, um, Europe, the, the big umbrella organization for intersex orgs over Europe. And just just a lovely bunch of people, but yesterday they had um, this pretty amazing activist um, from uh, Steph Lum from Australia, who um, organized a project with young intersex people where they could put in their writings and poetry. And and what's really awful is that the experiences are resoundingly the same. They're the same experiences. Their doctors are telling telling their parents the same things. So now it has changed. Nothing has changed, really. I mean, that's the thing. I, I gave a presentation on it at the European Sociological Association. I read out some stuff on on basically clitorectomy, the removal of clitorises uh, uh, from seven from the seventeen hundreds, and then read out what John Money had said in nineteen sixty eight that nothing changed between that and that. Mm. So it's what do you think happened between this and this? The only thing that's changed is the terminology. Now it's clitoral reduction surgery, and you but it know, amounts to the same. Yeah, but then on one hand, you're as a, if you're a trans person, you can't access medical care, but as an intersex person, you're forced to have these without your consent. You know, it's a whole thing. You know, so basically, when I moved back to Ireland, because um, I didn't really want to go back to Ireland, but it was just the best decision for the family, and we're just you know looking ahead. So, when, so you you moved back to Ireland when you were a baby, um, and then you. Moved yeah, to... we, uh, the NHS basically told my parents to move back to Ireland and that or whoever was the, 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 the health service um, back then in, in 1971. And they moved back to Ireland. And uh, in 1992, I moved to the US. Okay. So what did you move to US for? Um, honestly, when I was 10, there was a, a girl in a James Bond movie. The tabloids found out she was trans. Oh. And that was the first other trans person I found. In which and, which James Bond movie? Uh, was this? For your eyes only, Caroline Carsey. I and don't remember. Yeah, she's. I know that's the one. She, it's got a bit of skating, and it's got the really low key ending on the, the the cliff face. The Citroen Dion. The, the yes, yellow, rolling down the hill. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't realize. Yeah, she's in barely in it, but it was enough for the tabloids to destroy her life. Like right. one girl, you know. And she was Irish. No, she's uh, English. English. But you know, but that was the first person that I ever found. That, you know, and right. My family had a construction business. I was made um, 
work construction as a kiddo um because this will toughen you up mm. you know make you match your surgery and be rugged and um but listening to the construction workers talk about what they would do to someone like that if they ever got their hands on them and the way that they would murder them while i'm sitting across from them as a little kid drinking my tea how old are you 10 10 and they're yeah. saying this in uh, front of a 10 year old yeah well i mean as and well it's the the tea shack on the construction site uh. in you know 1981 <laughs> and uh but also too i saw fort apache the bronx which one had pam greer in it um but also had uh trans characters that were not badly treated i mean there were people weren't chasing them with burning torches or whatever which so i really wanted to move to i was like i want to go there and i'd seen other movies with trans characters in it so i I wanted to go to that place because it looked diverse and accepting and honestly it was it really was it was just it was exactly like i thought it would be it was very i mean after sticking out like a sore thumb all my childhood moved to new york and just found friends like that it was just so easy i just like, were you I, studying there working uh um hucking originally because i i fell into um sex work pretty early um how so you arrive in new york then what are the steps to arriving and then moving into sex work well i was i found my way into sex work as a as a kid in ireland um oh so you'd already had experience in ireland yeah so what are the steps into well, sex work in ireland really just having a pretty unsafe home but also i had it it's only something i really thought about later but that i had really zero self-efficacy which put me in a lot of not great situations because i've spent my childhood learning that if you you have to ask santa for something and so basically anything if you're asked to choose clothes choosing the clothes you actually liked would get you beaten i mean in fairness um the grocery the store was full of irish moms beating their kids but you know um i was getting beaten for choosing the wrong gendered clothes and uh, so you you choose you know that the safe answer is always the opposite of whatever it is you like and nothing you know so and i i basically had no self-efficacy at all and uh i end up going allowing people to take me home and uh from what from the from bars how old were you um teens seems like 13 14 15 yeah Yeah. around there um i mean also too in ireland i mean like i mean at least when i was a kid i mean i'm sure you can pull up on youtube there's a baby drinking a pint and everybody thinks it's adorable (laughs) so i mean i was id'd for condoms at 17 but i was never id'd for alcohol i mean it's you know not growing up in ireland you know yeah i I found myself and people would take me home and you know and then i was like hey i made some money from it other times i didn't other times i got beaten up for asking for it but also you know, it, it wasn't even the case that someone would approach you and say i would like to buy your services it was a case of come home with me and then you would chance it and say you owe me a tenner yes or it was yeah and sometimes it worked out sometimes it didn't and you, you know and uh, who were just, these these men uh, women just men look guys um dads you know but you um, were you presenting as a 15 year old boy i was presenting really as a as a boy um and what was the because what i'm trying to understand is what's their their mindset you know you've got the the guys in the the tea break shack on the construction yard being a bit manly and butch and 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 transphobic and yet you've got these guys taking you back from the bars who 
all gay or oh, secretly? I, well, even the Taoiseach was a long time before. Um, when I was 10, yeah. the Taoiseach, but it was like in my, I don't know, in teens. So, um, you know, five, six years later. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was working on the construction side. I was probably in the best shape I'd ever been. Um, but, yeah, I don't know that there's a... I, I've wondered about that too. The people would pick up on a thing, I think. And I don't know, like... I had a teacher who was trying to groom me in school who's still actually working in the same school um, I found out but like I I wondered how he singled me out and there's, there's something there's a giveaway I mean now the giveaway is tits but like <laughs> but there's always been a thing and I don't really know what it is that the, the people would notice and gravitate towards maybe and it's I'm, an I'm energy not, thing I think it's on one hand, they'll go, you're masculine, but they'll they'll respond to a feminine energy or something. I don't, I don't know. And mm. I, I'm sure they don't know. Did you enjoy the sex work, that initial sex work in Ireland? It's, I mean, my, I, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it. Um, sometimes people were nice. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it. I don't think I really enjoyed any of it until really we were working in texas which is many years later it's interesting you call that initial sex work experience in ireland sex work do you not see it as child abuse oh yeah for sure but um some of it was a bit underage some of it wasn't um what was the age of consent in uh, ireland i don't i might have been 16 i'm not sure between between consulting men um, consenting men. I mean, it was illegal to be gay back then. Ah, so, okay. I mean, so there was no age mean, of consent in that respect. No. I okay. Mean, you weren't. You. I mean, and it was very, very. I mean, there, there was a like a, a hotel for clients, and I still can't remember. I went back and tried to remember where that place was. Yeah, there was a place you could go meet men, a bathhouse, got into cars, dabbled in street work a little bit. Is street work dangerous? Uh, yeah, I got the shit beat out of me on more than one occasion, and some people were nice, you know? It's just... But what effect does that have on you now? I don't... I'm... I don't know. I, I, I think about that stuff. I, it, it's... Uh, I'm... I don't know. I think I'm numb to a lot of stuff. Um, you know, on one hand, I'm a massive big crybaby and super emotional, but then numb to... Like, we, we, we don't have... Uh, TV. Um, we don't have BBC player or anything on our TV. We just um, back in Huddersfield, so we just started watching uh, the "I Will Destroy You" show. Oh yeah, okay. And it's just you know I've had a lot of those experiences, and you're watching people go through this stuff. But um, like I, I was, I was raped in New York, but I didn't. I don't, and and I'm not minimizing anyone else's experiences, but I just I don't know stuffed toilet paper up my arse and went about my day and just assumed oh, like now I die of AIDS it was, you know, so it, was, it was it was in the early 90s and you know I, w I was getting thinner but it was to do with um, I clearly wasn't that I was just not eating right so that but I didn't you were raped shortly after arriving and was that shortly a, after was that in a a, a a sex work uh situation or was that no it actually wasn't um it was uh I was naive let some guys and I was staying at a Y at the Y in Chelsea. I let some guys. I, I'm, I, you know, I sound stupid even mentioning it, but uh, I was talking about my artwork and they wanted to come up and see my portfolio and you know, and uh, I'm sure they, I don't know, but yeah, I was very similar to the scene and I will destroy you. I was just 
held down and powerless and just happened and is how do you recover from that both mentally and physically i don't know i just think i locked it away i just wondered about did my business i mean i haven't been raped in sex work is a funny thing but outside of it for sure sex work do you hold the power yeah but we take a lot of precautions or we try to but you're fighting the law i mean in texas i mean in, in america it's fully criminalized but in, in texas yeah but we would work together with other people all the time and what sort yeah. of sex work were you, how long so when did you live in new in texas when was that that was um, quite, quite recently right that would have been 2011 maybe to 2017 and what sort of sex work was that oh we were working as dominatrixes okay you know, so I mean, an established and, venue yeah like a, dungeon. a couple of we have we were partners on two dungeons and worked with other doms you know and then then we moved back to ireland and opened our own so but the in texas that's that's completely criminalized it is, but no, and I'm not saying that nobody ever has any problems in the U.S. from, um, from the police because we know what the police are like in America. Mm-hmm. But the climate of fear, um, going back to Ireland was just so drastically increased. I mean, I've talked to workers here who who said, I mean, they feel the same way about the police as everybody else as the rest of us do, but they said they would never hesitate to call them, um, if they needed them. But in Ireland consistently people because i've also been researching it since um like i just had a paper published on the law in ireland um it's how sex workers understand their experiences of working under client criminalization in the republic of ireland i think it's called but interviewees cons- uh, and participants consistently said that they would they would consider killing themselves before calling the police that's in Ireland now. Yeah, it's grim. It's it's just the climate of fear. So that's the thing. Like in 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 the US, we would work together. I mean, like I said, when we were making porn, a whole bunch of us would get together and film. When were you making porn? Oh, in Austin, Texas. In the dominatrix venue. Yeah, it was all filmed on porn. It was yeah. just yeah. But calling the the police, what would happen in Ireland? They would. Were they just so corrupt? Or oh, what? Ha- yes, they're very well. It they're corrupt, but they're also like. We had the, as soon as they turned the poor houses into, the Magdalene laundries into prisons where Irish parents were shamed into dragging their pregnant daughters. Um, and the last one of those closed in 2006, so it wasn't that long ago. Just give some context on that. What what are they? Um, they were poor houses, but um, So after, sort of like Victorian era work Yeah, houses. yeah, and it was basically you had nowhere else to go. So you would go there, you would say some prayers, you would eat, and then if you were misbehaving, you'd be thrown out, you know. And, and under the new Irish government, uh, in conjunction with the Catholic Church, women's rights were rolled back drastically. Women lost the right to leave abusers, to, to you couldn't get divorced. You They banned sex work and contraception in the same go. And this was in the early in the 30s. 20th? In the 30s, okay, mm. yeah. And basically after that point, um, families were shamed into dragging their pregnant daughters to the Magdalene Laundry where they would be enslaved and their grandchildren trafficked for profit. Right. So these, and, are, these are young girls who had got 
pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just uh, and their babies taken away from them. Yeah. And we've known now that they were, and, and they're finding the same thing in Canada too, because it, Ireland was the only place that had these yeah. uh, places. But, you know, I mean, thousands of babies found in their septic systems. and um, But a lot of babies sold to wealthy Catholics so in, in the US. And It's not too dissimilar to the story in Philomena, the film where... Oh, that's what it's about. Yeah. That's one, right. And so... If girls escaped from Magdalene Laundries, the police would drive, the guardie would, back, would, would yeah. bring them back. And that relationship, I mean, like I said, the last one closed in 2006. That was one up in the north. The other ones in Dublin closed in 1996. But the organization that dictates the laws on sex work in, in Ireland was formed by two of those religious sisters, the Good Shepherd Sisters and the Religious Sisters of Charity. And they formed that organization while the laundries were still in business like they set that organization up in 1989 i think and uh those religious orders are still dictating and telling the cops what move to make so if you were to call the police they're going to come and uh and evict you uh, best case scenario they might arrest you like, right it was only i think two years ago um, the police raided one facility and it was two, there was two young girls in there, no clients, and there wasn't even that much money. Um, the judge, Desmond Zaidan, actually made fun of the girls, uh, teased them about not having enough money and was asking them, was business slow? But basically they had condoms. Also, I have to say that Ireland's right now seeing its highest levels of HIV diagnosis in its history and pol- and the Guardia arresting people for having condoms. The Guardia are... Uh, the, the Irish police. Irish police. Yeah. What's wrong with having condoms? Uh, because it's proof of engagement in sex work. Right. So they're discouraging anyone from carrying condoms. And we're also, at the same time, because they've brought in this client criminalization law. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the buyer of sex would be criminalized. In theory. In theory. In theory, the... the, the, the that's but the practice is like when when the police raided our place in Ireland, they sent the client on his way. But right because they're but it's the girls who take the the brunt of it. The sex workers take the brunt of it. So you had a dominatrix dungeon in Ireland in Dublin, yeah, and that got raided by the guard and like, shut down. It got raided. We got harassed and bullied for months and threatened and all kinds and lied to by the guardie and then. They basically just uh, use brothel keeping laws to get our landlord to evict us, and we 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 like idiots. We'd sank everything into it, and we lost everything. We had nothing. I mean, you can't even get that back. Oh no, you you couldn't. I mean, we could have earned it back. It? If, uh, it was everything we had. Everything went into that place, and they just thousands. Ha- yeah, and just having a place to work. Just we want to make something nice where we yeah. could work from, and something that was safe and. And there's a demand for it. I mean, Ireland is, it, it's crazy because Ireland is was basically a, a child abuse factory on an industrial level. But if a fully grown adult wants to go get a consensual spanking from a middle-aged drag queen, <laughs> you get raided by the police and evicted. You know, it's... What does that do to the sex workers? You know, the street-based sex workers or just sex workers who are maybe on the websites? It's bad. I mean, that's the thing, too. I mean, like, we worked in the U.S. If you look up, American girls will show their faces. So will U.K. girls. You at Ireland, nobody nobody shows their face. It's a climate of fear. And the level of fear, and the, the, it's that also, the, the, 
there's a lot of sexual repression in Ireland. It's I mean, we it's 2021 and we literally have Catholic bishops writing sex education for our children while we have the highest levels of HIV. And HIV is not alone. We've got syphilis and everything. It's it's venereal diseases are raging. We I'm I've got undocumented um, sex workers showing me their correspondence where they're trying to teach Irish men what condoms are for. You've got workers in a position where they're having to consider because the good clients have been scared off. Mm. So they're trying to, they're basically in a position where they're having to consider engaging in things that they may not have done in the past. So maybe they will have unprotected sex because that might be the only client they have tonight. Or, and then when they go to the hospital, they're afraid of being deported, so they can't tell the hospital worker that they are a sex worker, so they're being denied post-exposure prophylaxis. And then that guy, you think a guy who just pressured that girl into having unprotected sex, it's probably pretty unlikely that he's going back to his wife or girlfriend and going, hey, hon, I just pressured someone I don't know into unprotected sex, so we should wrap it up a while. You know what I mean? I mean yeah. That's not happening. So, oh, so those two girls, um, like I said, that they got arrested for yes. dead condoms. They got nine months in prison. One of them was pregnant. I mean, under the under current laws, you know. And it, it, somebody uh, yesterday or today published a list of all the richest people, the richest politicians in Ireland. And they're on this list. These people are millionaires and fought for a law in conjunction with human trafficking nuns that put a pregnant girl and her friend in prison for working together for safety like the police do. Seeing as how it's so tough to be a sex worker in Ireland at the Mm. moment, I think a logical question would be why do they continue to do it? because it's um i mean that's the thing like i was engaging in sex work it's not like my career guidance teacher was like you know what (laughs) you're 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 uh (laughs) there's a lot of things you're willing to do for money this would be good for you um and you're not squeamish um like i am suited to it but i was just doing it and it's economic necessity i mean there's the people who are there people doing it who have other options? Um, sure, but you're the more the less options you have, the more likely you're you're going to find people doing sex work. So, for example, I talked at an intersex con- conference this year. One of the major sponsors was a, a home care business. Um, I'd applied for that company uh, and was hired, and I purposely didn't give them my passport because I knew it would happen because I'm legally female. Put through training. They were excited about me working for them, show them my passport. It became a we'll call you situation. You can't get hired as a trans person in Ireland. So if you're going to, I mean, I, I got saved with this PhD that, that paid me to do research on people like me, mm-hmm. uh, older intersex people. But without it, I'd be doing street work to pay for the master's program I got into because I can't get another facility. Also, too. Ireland's also in the middle of its biggest housing crisis ever, and and uh, the prices of housing is about to go up. And we've got a situation where um, hotels are complaining that nobody's staying there, but sex workers are being evicted. You know, there it's uh, people won't rent to sex workers. I mean, under the laws that they have, the brothel keeping laws they have in Ireland, 
a, a husband was recently arrested the husband of a sex worker so if you're a sex worker you have to be you can't have roommates you can't be in a relationship uh you can't rent anywhere and this is i mean if you're a single mom you know i mean ireland forced people to have babies for a very long time you know so because they because they banned abortions yeah which we've just got that back and it's not like it's you know there's still some problems with abortion access Mm -hmm. but we also have basically concentration camps for um, asylum seekers and refugees and we make those people live on 38 euros a week so if they want if they need a bit more money they're turning to sex work so you got people circling like sharks but basically because we're listening to the nuns on the law they're like well the clients is the problem so it's attacking the last resource of people there's a lot of disabled people will engage in sex work to supplement their their disability trans people um undocumented people who can't access regular employment and so basically the more the less likely or the more marginalized you are the more likely you are to face employment discrimination them are uh, the more likely you are to be up in sex work really what's the way out of that how do we remedy that almost vicious cycle well i mean case in point uh so i'm not engaged in sex work currently because i was paid to do this other research um but if i can't find employment after this due to transphobia and trans you know um trans employment discrimination I may have to go back to it, which is pretty grim prospect in my 50s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, some grim for some some people claim they like it, but I don't know. I'm I'm enjoying doing research from the comfort of my own home, you know. Would that be another dominatrix dungeon or would be in the street based in we, Huddy we and enjoy, Leeds? We enjoyed working in the US, honestly. And we had a lot of camaraderie, which you can't have in Ireland because you're not allowed to work together. You can't. You know, even if you're working by yourself, you could lie and say um, that your boyfriend's sleeping in the next room and he's an MMA fighter, you know. But now um, you're targeted. If you're working together, you're in trouble. Uh, if you're working alone, you're in trouble. I mean, I've known single mothers that were that were um, evicted by the police in Dublin. These are Irish girls. So, I mean, and I'm an Irish citizen. I was evicted. Um, so if you're not irish you're in worse trouble you know it's 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 grim um but honestly resources i mean the irish government's poured millions into these human trafficking non-led organizations ruhama and immigrant council ireland and the report that was put out two years later in conjunction with the police with the guardi um you can pull it up pretty easily online if you enter like um 2019 high-level working group prostitution it comes up but it's a short document but you you've got ruhama going but how well these girls can't leave because there's no exit services but we're pouring millions into these fucking orgs and it goes in their salaries and there's nothing to show for it so also you know there's there's so you know it's like anything that there's a it's not a simple thing but we could fix all of these afford affordable housing um free third level education uh free child care um you know addiction services people are in addiction you know uh they're going to face employment discrimination they're out doing sex work to do it make it so they don't have to give them the fucking drugs i don't know give them somewhere to be safe Mm. give people what they need but they won't they criminalize your last resource 
every time and then that's supposed to somehow save you but it doesn't it say i mean when we when we were evicted by the guardi it didn't save us there was nothing there to catch us it just basically uh, ended up with us um planning our own suicides and because we we had nothing we didn't know what we were going to do and it's really just out of spite <laughs> that we're still here because <laughs> we were like well we can't kill ourselves but you know what though fuck them fuck them because if we kill ourselves they're just going to do it to other people because they do mm. you know i mean i've i've met and spoken to workers uh, i interviewed one for for the paper that i put out not that long ago that have had been raped and were afraid to talk to guardy for fear of making their circumstances worse and I brought this up in, in a meeting with high-level um, Gardi, with senior Gardi, and uh, they were they blew up incredulous. You know, they were they were how could we make it worse? How? And I was like, well, you could evict them. Well, we have to evict them. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, but you, but you don't. And uh, I, I was like, look, I mean, this this affects trust in you. And the response to that was, well, I've just got funding to hire an additional seventy-five Gardi to increase evictions during a pandemic. During you know, just. And on top of that, we've got, you know, we've got this organization that's supposed to represent all the women in Ireland, uh, National Women's Council of Ireland. It's all just rich, middle class, white women. They've teamed up with these two human trafficking um, led organizations to crank up and up the policing on sex workers during this pandemic. I mean, this is, it's going on now, you know, they're beyond exploitation campaign and the government's pouring millions into it. But you could just pour it into the things that people need, but alas, no. It's majorly political, I imagine. It, mm. They would get re-elected because they are seen to be dealing with the sex worker problem. Yeah, yeah. But, but also, I mean, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm involved in intersex activism too. And you hear the same thing from the medical establishment. When we speak up and go, I'm having a lot of problems because of the surgery, the medically unnecessary surgeries you performed on my body for for social emergencies. Um, they will go, don't listen to them. They're not representative. When sex workers speak up and go, things are very, I mean, violence skyrocketed. I mean, you can see it. There, there's an app called, well, I mean, well, there's the National Ugly Mugs here. Yeah. But that gets like government funding and stuff, I think. Um, but in Ireland, they have to host it um, in a different country because, and when we were there, the police, the Guardi were like, well, we're going to shut down the Irish ugly mugs. And I was like, well, you'll have blood on your hands because it's saving lives. Hmm. But uh, the reports just skyrocketed on there. There, there was a port During COVID? Uh, after the law changed. Okay. I mean, there was a whole, it, the, the violence skyrocketed against sex workers. And it's been, it's been bad. When it was fully criminalized. Um, they, well, that's the thing. They will say under this law that sex workers have been decriminalized, but mm. well, who's, well, how are, how are your street workers in theory were decriminalized? But I mean, I, I worked outreach before I moved to the UK and routinely you'd see the police bullying the girls off the places that they found where they feel safe and the lighting and they know the area and they're being bullied into areas that are less safe. And there's five sex workers making probably not a lot of money on the street. But then there's two Gardaí for every one of them. I mean, surely we could just pay for whatever the fuck it is they need. Mm. But but alas, no, that's not that's not how Ireland's going to do, you know. Where does that stigma come from? Oh, the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's, it's connected to, you know, a, a, an ingrained shame in sex and the ownership of one's body having ownership over oh 
what you want to do with your body. It's yeah, uh, it's it's another parallel because we were me and other intersex people were talking to a uh, a member of the medical establishment not that long ago, and he corrected us and said, "Oh no, no, you're only one stakeholder in your body. There's also us and the parents." And we're like, "Wait, what now?" <laughs> but it's the same in Ireland, and and this, this, it's it's weird because Ireland will push itself like, "Oh look, we've got rainbow stamps." Um, gay people get married now but it it's steep i mean we were i mean my wife's family are conservatives you know and they know what we do and they don't care but even people who are more lefty in ireland i mean it, it is changing and people are seeing through it and people but it, it's painfully slow and, mm. and we we're, we'll lose people in the process people aren't doing well there's also no mental health services for for really the working class in 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 Ireland too, and that would help a lot of people. I mean, provide people the things they need. I mean, trans care. I moved back to Ireland um, again. Ironically, one of the reasons was I was worried about losing because I mean, we're seeing uh, they just passed another anti-trans bill in in Texas. Uh, it, we know about the abortion uh, abortions banned after six weeks. It's 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 going to be ongoing. It's it's not a battle; it's a war. Um, move back to Ireland. A lot of childhood memories, childhood abuse stuff came flooding back. And uh, I went to my doctor. I said, "I'm, I want antidepressants just to make it through." And she said, "You know what? You're in luck. This is the guy who is a psychiatrist for the National Gender Service." Oh, okay. I mean, because I don't care, but that that's great. <laughs> did no call um i asked for his number here's his number phoned and he actually ran the biggest like public mental health institution in dublin at that time and i got through and they were like yeah oh yeah you're trans and intersex yeah you've got to wait for this place it's a i'm still on the waiting list so i went back how many years is that uh i went on the waiting list in 2017 and basically after this doctor like and it was over two conversations they were like no we 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 won't see you i was like for antidepressants i mean i'm not looking for hrt i'm mm. but i mean like the thing is i'm not a psychiatrist but uh, but if somebody came to me and people do because if you're trans or you're a sex worker you always know somebody who's struggling and but if, if somebody comes to me i don't go well i'm not a psychiatrist go fuck yourself yeah but this guy is a psychiatrist from the national gender service and told me to go fuck myself refused to see me when suicidal and that's really common they will again the government will pour a lot of money into this catholic charity pieta house but they will it was actually in the uk and the times um that they called them because they weren't that's the same with the magdalene laundries too um english people english movies called that the uh, robert mullen scotland uh he made the, the Magdalene sisters. Other people are shamed. The government and the church and the police have always been complicit in these in this stuff. But other countries will call it out, you know. But uh, yeah, basically, um, I was told that I have to wait for Lachlanstown, which is a place that will see trans people because I'm intersex. That's the thing. They do surgeries on us as babies, but trying to get appropriate care as an adult, you know, you're kind of shit out of luck. So, But it's not like the, the antidepressants are necessarily connected to your status as I mean, trans what would happen if you needed I, I mean, medical care for your teeth or for for whatever uh, well, a rash that's, that's the thing uh, well i guess it's i mean I, I would imagine that people who are trans are, are at a higher risk of wanting antidepressants yeah but um 
But yeah, it was basically, uh, you have to wait for Lachlanstown. I'm still waiting to be called for Lachlanstown, which is the National Gender Service. But now you're so, over here. Yeah. You've managed to get yourself sorted in that respect here um, on the NHS? No, I mean, that's the thing. I, I mean, I had a conversation with them too. I figured, well, I'm here and I know, you know, I've got, you know, I've got some depression and stuff. It's, uh, that started with surgeries that were performed on me as a baby. And, you know, um, I figured maybe I should look into seeing, and, and, and the NHS have been really, really wonderful. But I had three long consultations with the mental health team. And they wrote back and said that your the scope of your trauma is way beyond the realms of what we're used to dealing with. So we can't help you. So that's a thing. It's a whole big cycle. And, you know, I, I kind of expected it as much after dealings with people in the past and trying to get... Because that's the thing. I, I've, it's been half a century of talking to doctors. Some of them don't have never heard of intersex. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I people, it's... It's hidden. It's hidden from us first and through that the rest of the world, you know, and considering we're, we're as common as people with red hair or people with green eyes, but we've been erased from the world. Meanwhile, you got a whole bunch of trans people on four year waiting lists. So I will probably have my PhD before I access an endocrinologist, which I should have always had access to, you know, so it's quicker to become a doctor than <laughs> be seen by a doctor. So. What are the differences in in how you can operate as a sex worker in this country compared to Texas, where you were previously? In Texas, is fully criminalized. I mean, we, we, we didn't have big signs outside or anything, um, like big flashing lights. You can do that in a couple of places in Nevada, but we, we were discreet enough. I mean, we were just cautious, you know, um, how would you how did you keep yourself safe well we could have other people working there um vetting your clients um how what does that look like in practice um one you can tell a lot by the correspondence i mean if the uh if it's you avail <laughs> you know how it's going to go but also yeah. as the i mean in the past <laughs> but as a dominatrix it was different so we were vetting people as as dominatrixes so if you got something very respectful that already tells you something is it is it a guarantee no there's there, there's no real guarantee when you but say you get something very respectful as in it, a you request get respectful come correspondence right and, I see. and you know and it's written and you know also too you can have someone wait there you can have someone hide in another room hmm. just to be and then people you get to know them and you see them over a period of time and it's but um in Ireland, you can't have... I, I think it's the same law here, but I know people do. People will work in brothels and will work together. They'll advertise together, but that's not a thing that happens in Ireland. And you can't even really lie to the client and say you have someone hiding in the next room because they can use that against you. You know, they can... How would you keep yourself safe in this country? Um, I've only done... The only work I've actually done um, here, honestly is with a friend not that long ago who just uh it was a dominatrix stuff again and they just wanted a i guess a middle-aged drag queen <laughs> 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 but uh they were i mean 
it was safe. Um, but I, I don't know. I'd hate to speak for everybody. Mm. But I know they have national ugly mugs. In Ireland, they use um, ugly mugs, i.e. the app and the website, which you can't host in Ireland. Um, vetting people, but, you know, um, honestly, as best you can. That's the thing that keeps tripping away the tools you use to keep yourself safe. They, they've taken away Backpage, which was handy for vetting people. And, you know, you could advertise there. I mean, we were sitting beside friends who were, when they were closing down Backpage, going, they were getting messaged by their old pimp. And they were like, yeah, I may have to go back to them. I mean... What was Backpage? Backpage was a, just a, a classified site that everybody could advertise through. Like, oh, like a Gumtree or a yeah. Craigslist. Yeah, yeah, same, right. same, same. But basically people use it all over the world, but they close it down supposedly to fight trafficking. Mm-hmm. But trafficking's only gone up. Same same as in Ireland, actually. Because the, I mean, the people all over the world use it. People in Ireland use it too. So it hurt people in Ireland. But when they brought in this law, again, it was brought in by nuns. I mean, the foreword in the research they used to bring in this law is written by a nun, Sister Stanislaus Kennedy from the Religious Sisters of Charity, an order that trafficked babies at least until 96. Um, the, oh, wait, I lost my train of thought. Um, Nuns, law. Yeah. Back page. Back page. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. Um, so basically we were told um, that this law was really good for stopping trafficking. So, the U.S. has um, a website where they keep tabs on how everyone's doing in human, as far as human trafficking goes. It's called the Trafficking in Persons Report. Mm-hmm. And you can pull it up from basically any year and then go down through and see how countries are ranked. Um, the year before this current law comes in, that they are fighting to bring into the U.K., uh, you know, they're trying to bring in the client criminalization into here too, but it's been disastrous everywhere else. They keep telling us it worked out really, really well in Sweden. It didn't. I've got friends in Sweden and it's very similar to Ireland. Um, but in the Trafficking in Persons report from the year that that law came in, Ireland was doing as well as anybody in the world. We we're top tier. There's there's tier one, tier two, tier two watch list, and then tier three. We're the worst country in the world for human trafficking. You know, Ireland in 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 three years had gone from number one to tier two watch list. So we are almost one of the worst countries in the world for human trafficking. So I brought this up with senior police too. One hand, they're telling us that we need to evict um, sex workers because of trafficking, which doesn't make any sense. But then also, this guy is the chief superintendent of the Gardaí over this area of police work. Also told a bunch of sex workers that human trafficking doesn't exist. And we're trying to explain to him, like, no, no, it, it does. It's just not it's just not the plot from taken <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's more complex than that and uh, his response was no it's just something people say to get a visa but meanwhile we're passing these laws to stop trafficking and ireland's yeah ireland's almost ireland's doing slightly better than afghanistan how do we find an end game how do we you know what's the future look like in this in this country i know there's a big decriminalization movement mm. in ireland i imagine we're the, trying. The sex workers and the, the activists want that. Yes. So what's the what's the realistic outcome? Oh, the, the optimist one or the pessimistic one? I mean, the pessimistic one is it just keeps getting worse and worse. And people, I mean, that's, that's the thing. During the Great Depression in, in the US, 
you had you already had people who were male sex workers, but there was a whole bunch of people before that that had never considered sex work. These guys were working on the docks, and that's the thing. You you've got these rich white women who are like, oh, I could never imagine doing sex work. No little girl grows up wanting to be a sex worker. It's fucking irrelevant. You find yourself in a situation where you got to do what you got to do to make ends meet, and then, you know, it's not like. I imagine it either. When I was a little kid, I wanted to illustrate ladybird books, you know, <laughs> shit happens. That's not what I end up doing, you know? It's, it's so sometimes you got to suck a dick to keep a roof overhead, but you tackle the poverty and inequality. That gets rid of the sex work. Um, whoever is the most in need, help them. What are the positive ways that sex work has enriched your life? Um, it, it, For me, it's very hard to separate sex work from being trans and also from being intersex even though they're all separate things but um they all kind of came sort of in a lump one after the other for me um but i i feel like for example being intersex has always given me a perspective on i've always known it wasn't it's not as cut and dry as boys and girls it's a little bit more comp it's a lot more complex than that and i think the same with sex work that's, that's the thing we live in a world where this is what people like this is what people like you see all sides of people. I mean, we, we would have clients in Texas who would be getting dressed and, you know, as soon as they come, it's a, it's a different person, you know. They're getting dressed and they're complaining about black people, trans people, gay stuff and all this before they go out the door. And we're like, wait, we just spent the last hour doing gay stuff, trans stuff, <laughs> you know, and like uh, everything you're complaining about, you just enacted <laughs> you know and you asked us and we had to go to a lot of effort to set it up and so it's a fantasy you, yeah you get to see you get to see what i mean you know i i'm I'm not delusional i'm not there that you know oh i'm a supermodel there's some trans supermodels that are i wish i looked like them i don't but you know some people just want to be with the older trans person i mean that's the, the thing that's beautiful about sex work is there's room for everybody and you see what the full spectrum you're told this is attractive this is attractive but one of the things that's really beautiful is that, that you see there's room for everything i mean as long as nobody's being non-consensually hurt um there, there's room for for everybody a huge thanks to addy for taking part in this episode next time on sex work so the client found you were you were you nervous i was very very nervous and this was back in manchester yeah i was okay, like so shaking me... with nerves <laughs> but obviously trying to give the impression that i've done this a million times before you know uh... oh so you were you didn't say like oh you're my first absolutely not right no. you wanted to be like i'm, I'm a, a veteran yeah exactly yeah a professional <laughs> <laughs> be sure to subscribe so you don't miss that episode this has been a Shoot First Talk Later production, written and produced by Robert Gershenson, consultation by Jason Domino and Camille Waring, partly funded by The Photographic Theorist.